0: Love Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at SumatiSparks.com. And today I'm really excited to have as my guest Dawn Davidson, who is a coach, a counselor, and a presenter. She's got a big presentation coming up in Europe this summer I'd love to hear more about. She's also a polyamory community builder. I remember attending an event of hers probably 17, 18 years ago, so she's been a pillar in the community in the Bay Area for many years. So welcome to the show, Dawn. I'm so glad to have you here.
1: Thank you, Sumati. I'm so glad to be here.
0: Great. Well, there's so much to talk about. You just got, have so much going on. I want to learn about your kissable agreements and um, your business love outside the box. But let's start with uh, asking a little bit uh, about you personally. Um, so do you consider yourself, how do you describe yourself uh, as being in an open relationship?
1: Well, I actually usually don't. Um, I'm more fully identify as being polyamorous. Um uh-huh. and you know, my sense is that polyamory and open relationships are overlapping sets. Mhm so um, can you
0: yeah can you elaborate on that a little bit?
1: Sure, absolutely. So, for instance, in polyamory, there are some relationships that are not open. You can have something called polyfidelity, where it's just like a marriage, but with more people. So I don't think of that as being an open relationship because it's not open. Uh, right. Conversely, in open uh, relationships, you can have some relationships that I don't necessarily think of as being polyamorous because while they're open sexually, they're not necessarily open to uh, more love. They, uh, sometimes they put boundaries around falling in love. So I don't consider all open relationships to be polyamorous, but there's a huge overlap between those two.
0: Well, thank you for saying that because I've been thinking of it as open relationship as an umbrella term, but I like the way you separate it as overlapping sets. That's brilliant. Thank you for that that great uh, concept there. Um, so, what labels might you put on your relationships now? So it varies.
1: From relationship to relationship, um, I generally describe myself as being polyamorous. I am also uh, bisexual and kinky and um, pagan. These are other things that apply to me and my relationships. but I have some relationships that are uh, you know polyamorous and kinky, and some that are kinky and pagan and, you know, they go around the circle and not all of them um, are the same for each person, which is part of why I'm polyamorous.
0: (laughs) Right. I, I know there's quite a few people who have a partner that's not into kink and so that's a really great reason to have an open relationship so that you can have somebody that matches you on that level. But can you tell me a little bit about how being a pagan fits into um, alternative relationships?
1: Oh, sure. Well, you know, our culture is pretty heavily based in the Judeo-Christian mythos, and a lot of our cultural values are uh, what I would consider to be Christian values. Um, And so... Many times, identifying as a pagan, um, I tend to feel a little less uh, connected to a lot of uh, the standard cultural ideas. There's also the um, fact that uh, the particular pagan church, of which I'm both a member and uh, ordained through, the Church of All Worlds, they happened to be one of the two places where the uh, word polyamory was coined. Um, it was coined uh, by Jennifer Wesp, um, and it was also coined by um, uh, by um, the uh, priestess of Church of All Worlds, uh, Morning Glory Zell, uh, Morning Glory mm-hmm. Zell Ravenheart. So for yeah, I heard that she they,
0: coined it, but I did, I haven't heard the other lady's name.
1: Yeah, you'll find if you look it up in I think it's Merriam-Webster has it listed under Jennifer West. They decided oh, that really? it had stronger <laughs> claim. Yeah, I personally think it came from Morning Glory, but um, uh-huh. you know there's there's definitely a question about who said it first, when, and where. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, I find that these things are overlapping, that part of the reason that I went to uh, paganism was because of the uh, explicit support for polyamory and open relationships and the idea that, um, you know, no matter who or how many you love, the love is always okay.
0: Mm hmm. Yes, and I like what you say on your website as love as a spiritual path and that you're an ordained minister in your pagan community. Um, so it yes. sounds like spirituality is a big part of of what you practice as well as what you coach.
1: It's definitely a piece of it. I work with people in all kinds of spiritual paths. So right now mm-hmm. I have some clients who are uh, atheists, um, and I also have some who are, pagan and some who I think identify as Christian Um, Mm -hmm. so I you know I really do work with all uh, sorts of people and um, I sort of walk a middle path on a lot of these things Mm -hmm. I'm trained actually as a scientist uh, Mm -hmm. uh, you know I have a degree in genetics from UC Berkeley Um, Mm. so I'm trained to think that way and I also feel a deep um, reverence for the the wonder of the universe. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I am open to receiving information in a variety of ways and to however my clients might receive information.
0: Um, mm-hmm. so. You know, I've been thinking a lot lately about Spirituality, how much it helps me with um, with jealousy and transforming jealousy, because it helps me understand who I really am as a spiritual being. And um, when I really get in touch with that source energy, I don't feel like there's any lack in the world. That I'm love, and there's enough for everyone. So I'm yes. wondering if you have found spirituality helpful in with yourself and or with your clients with managing jealousy
1: oh sure i definitely uh I definitely find that to be true that if you are really in touch with um, i would say the the attitude of gratitude you know really mm-hmm. being uh in touch with uh, whether you put the label spirituality on it or not, you know however it is you want to frame that understanding. Uh, that there is a world of good out there if we can only focus our attention on that.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And sometimes when we're triggered in our jealousy, we are focused on something that isn't working and we are blind to all the things that right. are working. Yes, it's very right.
1: true. I mean, I do actually also do quite a lot on jealousy. I have a lot of, you know, sort of concrete tools. Uh, One of the workshops I offer is uh, the Jealousy Tools Workshop. Um, And so I have a lot of very down-to-earth, concrete approaches to jealousy. And you're right that, you know, someone being able to be in a more uh, spiritual mindset um, uh, in a mindset of gratitude is really super helpful as
0: well. Mm-hmm. And can you share with us maybe one additional of those concrete tools for jealousy?
1: Okay. Um, so uh, one of the things that I notice is that jealousy uh, I usually think of it as being a complex of emotions. It's not a singular emotion, although our culture Mm -hmm. tends to represent it as such. But Mm -hmm. usually jealousy is made up of some proportion of envy, I want that too,
0: plus Mm -hmm.
1: some proportion of uh, fear or anxiety,
0: I'm afraid I'm going to lose that. Um, mm-hmm. it's also there can also or, be pain. or i'm afraid i'm or, or i'm afraid i'm not enough right
1: yes i'm afraid i'm going to lose <laughs> it i'm afraid you're going to take it away or i'm afraid that i'm not enough that somehow mm-hmm. there's something wrong with me and
0: mm-hmm.
1: so because it's almost always made up of some portion of fear any tool that will work on anxiety will work on jealousy. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, you know, that includes simple things like the old counting to 10 thing, which basically is Mm -hmm. just giving our bodies enough time to get the chemical cascade calmed down and to get our brains back online. You know, that will work. Um, I also have a tool that's quoted in the Jealousy Workbook by Kathy Labriola, and that tool is mm-hmm. called uh, um, Juggling for Idiots uh, because mm-hmm. it's uh, a way of, it, you you toss a ball from one hand to the other, and it's a, a visual way of doing the uh, EMDR, Eye Movement Desensitization mm. and Reprocessing. Um, and... Basically, you you just toss this ball back and forth while you think about the anxiety-producing produ- uh, experience. And as you do that, um, it tends to uh, bring the level of anxiety down um, while you do that. I, I think it introduces a little noise in the memory and decouples mm-hmm. uh, uh, the anxiety from the thought of the, the thing.
0: Beautiful. Thank you for that. That is very concrete. And I've done EMDR with a therapist. It's very effective. Um, so that's a great skill people who are listening can use right away. Just toss a ball from one hand to the next. And as your eyes look left and right, left and right, left and right, something happens with the synapses between our left and right brain and we get all kinds of insights into our reasons why we're feeling a certain way or behaving a certain way. So that's a great tool. Yeah, Thank you so much.
1: It is. I've found
0: it to be simple and very useful. hmm Great. So you also talked about being in the kink lifestyle, and you work with other people that um, practice that lifestyle as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Can you tell us about what some of the issues are that come up around kink and polyamory?
1: Um, Well, there are a lot of the same issues that come up in polyamory in general with the extra Mm -hmm. layer of, um, you know, many people in kinky relationships are in some sort of power exchange relationship, like a dominant-submissive kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. And when Mm -hmm. that happens... um, there's there's special issues because of the power imbalance. You know, mm. one of the things that I think is key about polyamory and open relationships, in many other ways, is that it is very much about equality, um, mm-hmm. and it's about you know the the right of men and women and people of all genders to have the kind of relationships that they want and need. Um, mm-hmm. And when you introduce the the dom-sub-relationship, it can really increase the feelings of jealousy, you know, if, say, a submissive sees her dominant or his dominant play, playing with, you know, someone else, um, it can be extra jealousy-provoking because they may not feel
0: they have the power to get their needs met. Mhm. Yeah, I can see how a normal therapist wouldn't understand that power dynamic and might not really know how to counsel people in those types of relationships if they don't understand how that works. So that's a, a great right. additional skill that you have. So yeah, you've been thanks. doing this for a long time. How long have you been in the lifestyle? Well,
1: it kind of depends how you think about it. I've
0: um,
1: I've certainly, uh, I started writing poetry about not understanding having to choose between two guys uh, when I was in high school. Um, uh-huh. And uh, I didn't really know what to do with it at that point, of course. There was no term for it. Polyamory hadn't yet been invented. Uh, We were in the days of open marriage, but I was way too young to have a marriage, so that didn't really apply. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even on my radar. Um, But after that, I met uh, a couple, and uh, I had a threesome with them right about the time I graduated from college. Um, Mm. And This is the mid-'80s at this point. Um, And I stayed in touch with them for, oh, about a decade, I think, uh, until they mm-hmm. broke up, actually, mm. um, and that's part of why I de- identify as polyamorous um, more than many other kinds of uh, labels, because I do have that sort of emphasis on on um, connection over time, which I find to be mm-hmm. often really a key there. Uh, so there's all of that, and then you know, then I got together with the man who became my husband and we started out in a threesome relationship, but closed our relationship. And then he had an affair and it was at the point that we were cleaning up from the affair that we got into um, therapy. And at that point I started seeing the need for this kind of work that I'm doing now and Mm -hmm. uh, started learning all kinds of tools. And it was shortly thereafter um, in the mid-90s when we bought the house that I am at. As I'm speaking, I'm still in this house. Um, mm-hmm. And that's when we started hosting those parties that you mentioned. You think you might have been at one of them some number of years ago. It's quite possible. We
0: mm-hmm.
1: 18 years. Um, and
0: yeah, it feels like it was at least 18 years ago, yeah.
1: Yeah, it could easily have been. Um and uh <laughs> right now as I sit here I am ab- about to sell this place. Uh we're finishing up our divorce process which has been extremely mm-hmm. amicable. Again as mm. you know polyamorous people we've been uh really trying to take care of each other around this and which, wish each other the best. I certainly wouldn't uh have wanted to not go uh to to be in all of that relationship because I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if I hadn't mm-hmm. gone through all of that. My life wouldn't look anything like this. So mm-hmm. <laughs> so the answer to how long is either um, all my adult life
0: or at least two decades depending how you're thinking about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So you got involved as a couple when you were in your early 20s. So how was that for you? How did you did you feel like, oh, I'm home, or did you have trouble finding a place in your brain for that at the time? Um,
1: oh, it was kind of funny. It was a big surprise, actually. I was, um, I was at a, a, a camping event, and uh, I had been missing the signals. Um, I'd been being flirted with, and I caught the flirting from the guy, um, I understood that, but I didn't understand the flirting from the woman until <laughs> they literally dragged me off into a, a, a tent, and she leaned over and kissed me. <laughs> at which point, it was like there was this like little <laughs> you know explosion in my brain. It was like, oh, I get
0: it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, did you know you were so bisexual at that time?
1: You know, um, I was aware of it. Uh, I'd had a crush on uh, one of my college dorm mates, um, but I I don't think I'd actually done anything at that
0: point.
1: <laughs> um, so right. it was all extremely new for me. And uh, but but I did feel like I really once I got over that surprise. It was like, oh, okay, this could be fun. We could do this or this or this, you know. And, <laughs> and it just um, it, it really, uh, I I started to see the, all the, the possibilities.
0: Uh-huh, a whole new world opened up for you, huh? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
0: That's great. And you said you stayed in touch with them, but you weren't in any kind of closed relationship with them?
1: Oh, no they um they live on the other side of the country from me um I see so that that really wouldn't have been possible
0: um, mhm, but then you got into another triad with the man that became your husband,
1: yep, that was one of the ones that I was uh with, and in fact um the uh person that was in that triad with us is uh still one of my bestest friends and someone you may actually know um Francesca Oh, oh uh, yes, uh-huh.
0: <laughs>
1: so we're we're still Hello friends. Francesca
0: if you're listening. <laughs> I'm taking a class from her right now on traveling, teaching oh, on the yeah. road and traveling. <laughs> oh, awesome. I'm so glad that you're doing that. Um it yeah, looks like she's it's like fabulous.
1: Fabulous. So
0: Yep. Yes, um, I've known her for just just as long. <laughs> yeah, she's so great. and I have and I'll, been, I'll be having her on my show in a little bit too. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. She yeah. and
1: I have been friends okay, for cool. um, thirty years now. Thirty years.
0: Nice.
1: Um, yep. And um, we beautiful. laugh sometimes because neither of us is with the man that we were both the other woman around, but we are still with, with yes. each other. So, you know. Girl power.
0: <laughs> That's so true. I always say that, that, you know, you gotta stay with your sisters because the guys come and go and they tend to die sooner than us and we'll be in the nursing home with our girlfriend. <laughs> That's right.
1: That's right. That's great. Very true.
0: So then you so then you started coaching um around nineteen ninety
1: eight. Yes. Yes. Um, My ex and I, at that time, we had been doing some work with some folks helping people write um, wedding ceremonies and um, performing their wedding ceremonies, Um, and there was some outgrowth of that. Uh, some folks came to talk with us after some pool parties, actually,
0: mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
1: and uh, we had some folks who just wanted to sit down and pick our brains and pay us for the time, and also some other folks that um, they wanted to do some work. And we said, "Well, we did, we're not sure, but let's you know look at it as an outgrowth of this process that we had been looking at for." doing pre-wedding counseling kind of stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. So that's where Mm -hmm. we
1: got that start.
0: Great. And then after that, did you do the, um, uh, I'm spacing on the name, the counseling program, the interchange? Did you do interchange later?
1: Uh, I did interchange much later, actually. Um, Mm -hmm. That came for me about a decade ago. I went through in 2006, Mm -hmm. 2007, the program was still mm-hmm. pretty small at the time. We had about mm-hmm. 20 people mm-hmm. in our class. Great program. Mm-hmm. I got a lot out of it. I have no idea how it is now because <laughs> it's it's grown so
0: much. Uh, right. Yeah, it seems like everybody in the Bay Area has done it, <laughs> except for me. I it, haven't it, yet. <laughs> you haven't
1: yet, huh? Well, you know, it's probably no. worth doing. Um, uh-huh. It definitely was... Uh, was transformative for me. That marked the point at which when I first started doing counseling, I was doing it with my now ex. And uh, we did it as a couple, uh, often to couples. And mm-hmm. going through interchange, I learned um, how to be a counselor. I got a lot more um, uh, you know, information that I didn't have before and I got a lot of practice and I started working on doing this by myself um without having another person in the mix. Uh which is something mm-hmm. of a different
0: thing. Right. So, and you uh, your website says that you're also a shamanic soul coach. What's that?
1: Yeah, well again with Francesca. Uh she has uh mm. she had a course anyway Called shamanic soul coaching, Um, and uh, that is uh, basically taking the idea of a sort of a shamanic view uh, that everybody has a um, has a a family, a, a you know, a group of different aspects within themselves. And that uh, sometimes what you need to do is you need to understand who's running the show. Uh, That, you know, if you ever find yourself doing something and going, why the heck did I just do that? I don't understand. My conscious mind didn't want to do that, but I still did that. You know, what was that? Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's uh, some inner aspect is coming to the fore, uh And maybe colluding or you know maybe taking the reins surreptitiously um, and so the shamanic soul coaching is a journey work it's a guided uh, guided visualization uh guided experience uh, where I help my clients to uh You know, get into a trance state and then help them to talk to these different aspects of themselves in whatever way that they come forward. It's actually one of my Mm -hmm. favorite things to do. Um, I really beautiful.
0: It it sounds like it helps you get in touch with those subconscious beliefs and um, all that subconscious nonsense that doesn't really work anymore, and kind of. It can be that befriend befriend those parts of befriend your shadow parts of yourself and integrate them more, yeah.
1: Right. And I think one of the the things that I like about it is there's also it's a very non pathologizing view that says these parts aren't necessarily light or dark, they're not, you know, necessarily shadow or or good. They're they're just parts and they have their own motivations and their own triggers and their own needs. And if we can really befriend ourselves and really get in better touch with all the parts of us, then we can get people, we can get ourselves on the same page. We can also maybe harness the energy of the maybe the angry teen, um, t- toward some different end. You know, I had a, I had a client who, um, uh, who does have this sort of rebellious teen, and in a session not long ago, I was um, talking with her and pointed out that that teenage self had figured out how to do some things. And maybe it wasn't so great at the time that she figured out how to go, you know, get on a bus and go three towns over every week for through the summer. But isn't that amazing that she had that ability? And if we could just tap mm-hmm. into that in her current life, you know, she'd really be able to power through some of the struggles that she's having.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. That's great that you have that additional training. Um, yeah. So if you're just if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at sumatisparks.com, and we're speaking with Don Davidson, who is a longtime polyamory coach. And I'd like to find out a little bit more about your work, Don, and some of the programs that you've created. Um, Maybe we can start with what type of advice might you give a couple or a person who's just starting out uh, to have a non-monogamous relationship?
1: Well, um, there's an old saw on the polyamory boards that says um, the poly mantra is communicate, communicate, communicate. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's a pretty good place to start. Um, I, I think it's absolutely crucial that we communicate with our partners, whether there's one of them or many of them. Uh, and at the same time, um, when we do try open relationships or polyamorous relationships, they tend to involve more people, more moving parts, more schedules. And so communication becomes of utmost importance. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that is certainly one of the things that I would um, advise. Uh, now, what
0: do you say to the naysayers who say, oh, polyamory requires so much processing? <laughs> How would you <laughs> respond to that?
1: Well, you know, uh, to some degree, uh, I would say, yep, and if you don't like to talk about relationships, it might not be your best choice. Mm-hmm. Um and conversely, there's another uh, perspective, which is it really all relationships take this kind of processing. It's just that we're not doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all relationships are bettered by uh, sitting down periodically and asking each other, so what do you need? And what do you need? And can
0: mm-hmm.
1: we you know, get those needs met together?
0: Um, it's true oftentimes monogamous people will sweep things under the rug for years or even decades and yeah if nobody brings anything up they just kind of go on in this sort of numb state without a lot of true intimacy and authenticity and connection so i think open relationships kind of force us to have better relationships in a sense I think it's possible
1: to be unconscious in open relationships as well um, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you choose one of the ones that's closer um to not open you know like a don't ask don 't tell type relationship you can you can stay pretty unconscious if you if you really want to um But I I agree that being conscious in our relationships, whether we're consciously choosing monogamy or consciously choosing open relationships or polyamory, whatever it is, the degree to which we can be in our conscious minds and be intentional about what we're doing and how we're relating, I think that will really improve all of our relationships, whether it's family or... um, our love relationships or even relationships at work in our
0: community. hmm And so can you tell us uh, a little bit more about your kissable agreements? You have a workbook on that, I believe, correct?
1: I do. I've written a workbook called Kissable Agreements and Other Secrets to Negotiating in Polyamorous Partnerships. And um, so kissable is um it's actually not one of the you know super super duper important uh ones i wouldn't put it high at the top but it's a cute name you know it stands for uh keep it simple sweetheart um, mm-hmm. and that's that idea that if you're going to make agreements you need to be able to remember what they are um mm-hmm. So uh, I have um, about ten tips uh, that go along with creating kissable agreements, and one of them is that one: keep it simple, sweetheart. And also things like um, write it down can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, try to anticipate various contingencies. That. You know, you can't always, but think about it. Think about the terms that you are using. Uh, are you do you mean the same thing when you say certain words? Um, that's a super important one.
0: Um, mm-hmm. it seems so simple, but you'd be surprised. Like something as I, simple as "don't stay out too late." That could be right. interpreted in a lot of different ways.
1: <laughs> yeah, what's out? <laughs> Right. <laughs> What's too late? <laughs> Is it okay right, to right. go out again if you've been? You know, if uh, if you're not, if you say not to stay out, can you, uh, you know, come home for five minutes and go back out? <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's it's amazing how many ways we can miscommunicate <laughs> if we try. Right.
0: Yeah, and this is a juicy topic when, when it comes to agreements. Um, I've found that sometimes couples or more threesomes or m- um often have arguments or fights over the agreement being broken because it, it kind of serves as a smokescreen for the feelings yeah. that are going on around the agreement being broken. So there becomes an argument about, you, whether you broke the agreement or not rather than talking about how you're feeling and what you're needing.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's actually uh it's actually one of the reasons that I have the five reasons that even good agreements sometimes fail and the 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 top one of that is just forgetting. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Um mm-hmm.
1: because sometimes it takes a while to learn things that are new, you know. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. But you're right that we can often use the fight to sort of screen the underlying feelings and just be in the fight. Um, One of the things I've found uh, that I learned from some of my clients um, quite a while ago now is that if you're involved in one of those um, disagreements where you're like, going around in circles and you find yourself going around for the second or the third time on the same thing and you're explaining to the other person and then they explain back to you, you know, Mm -hmm. well, if you just understood, then you would agree with me, except
0: Mm -hmm. that's not
1: necessarily true. And what needs to happen is one or both partners at that point need to... um, they they need acknowledgement um, mm-hmm. they need to have that moment of dropping in to those feelings that you were talking about, and to be acknowledged for whatever they've been doing, trying to do, you know maybe they didn't come home at ten, but maybe they were home at ten o five and they worked really hard to mm-hmm. do that, you know, mm-hmm. and they need acknowledgement for for how hard they tried,
0: mhm, right. And can agreements be renegotiated? Like can, uh, can somebody give an agreement, a trial run, and then say, oh, I need to adjust that, or that didn't work out very well, let's go back to the drawing board?
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan, actually, of time-limited agreements, or as mm-hmm. somebody I know in our community says, time-bound experiments. Um, mm where you can try something out and generally I advise that it be for the shortest period of time reasonable. Um, Mm -hmm. Most agreements, something like two weeks-ish is good because beyond Mm -hmm. that you start to forget um, or conversely you think that it's set in stone um, and I think that it's really great to have agreements be sort of a a living document, you know, something that grows and changes as your relationship grows and changes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's something, a uh, thought came to me from the book More Than Two. Uh, mm-hmm. They talk about um, if you're going at the slowest pace of the person in your polyamorous pod, um, for example, maybe there's a triad and they want to add a fourth person and one of the three people says, no, I'm not ready for that, but the other two are gung-ho about it. So right. they say, okay, well, let's let's not do it yet if you're not comfortable, um, but to put a time limit on that so that that person is given ample time to grow and um, have get their needs met around whatever they need, but to not have that be forever where they're holding everyone hostage.
1: Exactly. You know, that can definitely be an issue. Um I know that um Franklin and Eve uh, uh they they definitely Franklin in particular has a view of not appreciating uh rules very much. She really doesn't mm-hmm. like
0: rules. Mm-hmm. Um
1: mm-hmm. And, uh, because
0: you're dealing with human beings, and you're dealing with love, and you're dealing with all these Im- unpredictable things, and if you put too many agreements on it, you can hurt people. If you have a hierarchical couple, like a primary partnership, mm-hmm. and that that brings up the concept of the veto, right? Like if right. if they ha- if a couple has a veto agreement, um, that means at any given time one of the Members of the couple can say, I don't want you seeing that person anymore. Well, what about that person? You know, you're, that can right. really what hurt about them. That
1: person? Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, it, you know, that's a, uh, I'm not a big fan of um, those kinds of agreements with vetoes unless it's around something that is just, it really is a deal breaker. Like, I I think it's perfectly fine to veto somebody if they've proven themselves to be abusive, for instance. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm.
1: I I don't have a problem with saying no with a hard limit, uh, Mm -hmm. but I do agree that um, imposing a set of rules on the, quote, secondary partner without them being able to uh, have input on them is um, potentially very damaging mm-hmm.
0: uh, and certainly
1: not respectful of that other partner. Uh, one of the keys from my perspective is that for people to have agreements, and I do make a distinction there, um, uh, for people to have agreements – they have to agree. Mm -hmm. It's an active process. It's not just someone presenting a list and saying, sign here.
0: (laughs) Right. And how would you distinguish between agreements and boundaries?
1: Um, Sometimes I use those words uh, interchangeably. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm trying to think So uh, so often I've heard people talk about it As boundaries are the things that I have for myself You know, mm-hmm. I get to say This is my body And I have a boundary around you You know, around this And limits are things that I put on other people
0: hmm uh, agreements and, or, or yeah, and agreements are something that you would make in conjunction with your partner as well, partners.
1: Yeah, and agreements are a different thing altogether. Agreements are, um, uh, you know, you make these, uh, these agreements as, uh, I like to think of them as sort of training wheels um, in many cases, or um, I also like to use um, – so you can – sorry, this is not clear. You can make agreements between two or more people and people have to agree about them or you don't have an agreement. Um, And sometimes what you need to do, especially for people who are, say, solo poly or uh, single and – Uh, practicing open relationships with people and they're not in a primary partnership, then what Mm I have done for myself is I've created a set of agreements with myself which Mm -hmm. come out sounding a little more like affirmations, like this is a Mm -hmm. statement of values. This is who I am and what Mm -hmm. I'm doing, how I'm going to behave in this kind of situation, and then you get to sign on to that or not. Um, Mm -hmm. But they're about me, and my safety
0: mm-hmm. right and then there's requests um, I know for me um, I've been doing this for a very long time and I have a primary partner and we our only agreement is that we if we don't use protection with another partner that we tell each other before we're sexual again, that's our only agreement, that's good agreement. Um, but I have a request that he tell me if he has sex with somebody so that when I see her, I don't find out from her and then I feel like a deer in the headlights and I don't have time to process any feelings that I have about it. So I've made right. a request, but if he, if he forgets, I'm not mad at him because he broke an agreement. I'm just like, hey, you know, that kind of felt uncomfortable. And then, you know, if I don't blame him or get angry at him, then he says, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll try better next time. You know, because people do want to honor requests as much as we can. Sure. sure, Absolutely. Yeah, as I long as I don't come at him with anger and blame.
1: <laughs> right. Well, that's the difference also between a request and a demand. Um,
0: mm-hmm. Right.
1: And I think it's crucial um, when making agreements, they're always based on requests. Um, mm-hmm. And you know a requ- a request is anywhere where any uh, any statement in which the answer to it can be no. Mm-hmm. If if no is not a possible answer, then it's mm-hmm. not a request. It's a demand.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, right.
1: And it, again, not all demands are bad. Um, mm-hmm. I demand that you know. Uh, my partners treat my daughter respectfully, for instance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, mm-hmm. But you know, if I'm saying you you have to come home by you know ten o'clock on Tuesday night, and the answer to that can't ever be no, um, then it's a demand and not a request. And it's really mm-hmm. important
0: right.
1: to be clear about that.
0: Right. And I saw on your website, aim for the win-win-win. What do you mean by three wins? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, um, uh, keeping in mind that, you know, I serve uh, mostly people in polyamorous or open relationships. Um, we're not just talking about win-win. We're talking about win-win, mm-hmm. win-win, win however many people are involved <laughs> <Right>. in this. <laughs> Good point.
0: Yes, that's true. Great. So you're keeping everyone in mind because there is often a power dynamic. I used to be in a relationship with a man who was married and lived with his wife, um, and there was a a power imbalance there, and I didn't always feel like that was fully acknowledged or, uh, you know, presenced in our triad, that they were married, that they lived together, that they had grown children, um, and I felt like I had the least power in the triad. Um, and I didn't feel like our – we didn't really have too many agreements, but I just didn't feel like it was always acknowledged to the extent that I would have liked it to be being the one with the least power there.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. Um, and So and your
0: relationship uh, – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to move on and say that um, you mentioned that you're going through an amicable divorce, Mm-hmm. And yep. that's that's great, um, but
1: actually some people been done might
0: say for
1: a couple of years. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry. Oh, for a couple that's of years. Actually, been done okay. for
1: a couple of years. We've just uh, are finishing up uh, around the house because we still continued to uh, own the property together, especially while um, our daughter was finishing high school.
0: So I see. We're so, yeah, I was just going to say. So, wouldn't oh. Uh, what would you say to someone who says, well, doesn't that show that open relationships don't work? Um,
1: uh, Generally what I say to that is, uh, let's remember that, um, you know, over half of all marriages end in divorce. So by that score, doesn't that mean that monogamy doesn't work either? Um, Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And...
1: Um, I think it's also important to remember that, you know, length of relationship is not the only standard for success. Um, mm-hmm. I have actually a, a free report that you can download off from my uh, website under um, the free stuff tab. Um, that website's is uh, www.loveoutsidethebox.com. Uh, And um, that one says, is it over? And I talk about a number of different things about, you know, how do we measure success in a relationship? Uh, You know, length is a common one in our um, compulsory monogamy model. But it's not. Yeah, the only it's almost like
0: if you failed. don't die, die still married, then it's it's failed, <laughs> which is kind of then an extreme measure, exactly. Stick. Yeah, and
1: that's you know that's kind of silly when you when you look at that, um, mm-hmm. because there are beginnings and endings all the time in mm-hmm. our world. Um, it's mm-hmm. one of the things that I like about. You know, My particular brand of pagan religion Is that we really honor the cycle of life And the fact that we can't create room for new growth Without uh, ending things You know, plants die and new plants spring up And without
0: yeah.
1: plants dying There wouldn't be room for the new plants to spring up um, And mm-hmm. that can often be true in relationships as well you know people talk about the the reason the season or the lifetime sorts of relationships you know not all relationships are long term relationships or not all relationships are primary relationships you know sometimes well
0: and look at your relationship with francesca for example that right. transformed into a lifelong friendship
1: that's right you know, we've we've been many things to one another over the years.
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> most relationships that you can be uh, that don't involve being blood related, we've been at one time or another. You know, student <laughs> and teacher, and uh, lover, and friend, and uh, the other woman, and <laughs> many mm-hmm. many different roles mm-hmm. we've had with one another. Um, so yeah, the, the I mean, metamorph. Like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Definitely. We've definitely been metamors multiple times. Um, (laughs) So I really like uh, something that uh, Richard Bach said. You know, he's the author of Jonathan Livingston Seagull and uh, many other books, including one. Um, And at the end of his fairly lengthy marriage to actress Leslie Parrish, he wrote something, and this is para- paraphrased, but he wrote something like, you know, we're free to consider an ending of a relationship as a failure. We're also free to consider it as being a graduation.
0: Mm.
1: I always Yeah, I love that. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's been a big piece of what, you know, has been happening between myself and my husband. We were together for a long time. Our relationship lasted about um twenty years of being you know really primary partner to one another and it's mm-hmm. been you know nine or so years um, now since uh since he first moved out and mm-hmm. It's been a long process of acknowledging what we gave to one another and all the important things up to and including having, you know, children together, which mm-hmm. will never be a relationship that breaks. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're connected always that way. And mm-hmm. so now I am looking at this as a, a graduation, especially with the fact that I'm going to be, you know, um, wrapping up here, I'm in the process of uh, about to sell my house. And really, it is feeling like a graduation. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm about to, you know, go off. I'll be spending some time back home with my parents and then doing some traveling, including to the Non Monogamies and Contemporary Intimacies Conference that happens in Vienna this, um, at the end of the summer. Which is so That's exciting. That's right.
0: Congratulations on that. That sounds awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so excited to be able to go to that again. I I was at the first one in Portugal two years ago and it was really wonderful and I'm really excited to be able to go back and I'll be presenting on the Kissable Agreements work again. Um and
0: Nice, good you for know, you. So
1: I'm taking this time to think about, you know, where do I want to go and what do I want to do? And it really does feel like I'm sort of graduating from what I've been doing for the last 20 years and on to something new. So that's really exciting. Mm.
0: Well, I wish you the best of luck with that, Dawn. That sounds really exciting. Um, we're about out of time, so I want to give you a chance to let our listeners know how they can get in touch with you. And I believe you have an offer for them as well.
1: I do. So um, uh, I would like to offer a uh, free consultation. I offer um, a uh, one-hour, 60-minute consultation. It's absolutely free, no obligation. Um, And uh, sometimes I call that consultation the polyagony to polyamory consultation. Um, but it's not, <laughs> it's not exclusive to, uh, uh, to polyamory. Of course, I also work with all sorts of outside-the-box relationship styles. And uh, mm-hmm. during that consultation, I'm happy to listen to where you're at, what your big challenges are in your relationship or relationships, um, and then to listen to what your vision is, um, what your visions might be, and then offer some tips and tools uh, towards helping you with that. And then at the end we can talk about whether continuing to work together would be a good fit. And, of course, it's absolutely no obligation, though I love to do this work, and so I really enjoy working with people this way. I will say that right now my business is pretty full up, I do have room for maybe uh, one or two more people right now because I've got a lot of things going on in my life and I'm uh, full up of really wonderful clients and I want to be able to serve Mm -hmm. everybody um, best as possible. But I do have a waiting list. So uh, if you want to contact me to find out if we can set up a time, uh, you can reach me through my website which is www.loveoutsidethebox.com uh and you can also reach me by my google voice number which no matter where i am in the world i will have access to that uh, so as i am flying about to vienna and elsewhere you can still reach me and that is uh 510 686-3386 686
0: 3386
1: Great, thank you John uh, Yeah, I would absolutely Yeah, well thank you uh,
0: so much Yeah,
1: Would love to talk to you <laughs> or anybody else who might want to call me up for this
0: It's very generous of you for an hour consultation that's great because you have so much experience so I hope people do take advantage of that. Um, but I want to thank you so much for all the wisdom you shared with us today and best of luck with selling your home and your travel plans. And I want to thank you again for taking the time because I know you're just getting over a, a bug. So I really yeah. appreciate you mustering up the energy to be here today, Don. It was really great talking with you.
1: Oh, It was great to talk to you too, Sumati. Thank you so much.
0: Okay, take good care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.